When I was in seminary, one of my favorite professors was uh, William Crockett, and he was from Canada and uh, uh, loved hockey, which I do not love. But uh, the best thing about Professor Crockett, on top of the fact that he was brilliant and his classes were uh, always learning experiences, was that he had a wonderful sense of humor. And uh, he taught us the Book of Romans and he taught us Greek and other classes and his classes were always a joy. Uh, Lots of things to say, as well as, as I said, a wonderful sense of humor. He would often say this, when you get out to be a pastor in a church, You are the doctor. And he would say that really as kind of a threat, maybe, or maybe just to scare the snot out of us. I don't know. But uh, he would say, when you're going to go out there and you're going to preach, you're going to oversee a church, you're going to be leading a church, and people are going to come to you with problems, and you're going to have to have something to say. You are going to be the doctor. Well, that succeeded in scaring me, and I never forgot that, and especially when I became a pastor, and people came and would start talking about what was going on in their lives, and I thought, I'm supposed to be the doctor right now, but I have no idea what to say. And so when I first became a pastor at a little church in upstate New York uh, for 10 years, it was really in many ways a baptism by fire, because people would talk about things that they have been through and what they were struggling with and addictions and abuse or whatever they'd been through. And I was really at a loss as to what uh, to say. Um, I recalled one of my professors from seminary, Arlene Westmeyer, and she taught a class uh, and uh, she actually used a book um, that I have here and it's called The Transformation of the Inner Man. Could be The Transformation of the Inner Woman, Uh, same difference. You still have a heart that has experienced many things in this life, and it is affected by what we go through. And she said this in one of our discussions one day. In Isaiah 53, it says that on the cross, he carried our sins and our sorrows. Now, we probably know about sin, have heard about sin or, or, or whatnot, and when we first came to Christ, If you know the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior, you no doubt said something such as this, Dear Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins, come into my heart. And the Spirit of God, honoring his word and the redemptive work of Christ, at that instant comes into the heart that's filled with faith and and, and creates new life in Christ. And you are born again and become a new creation in Christ and have a new identity and all those things. But she said, we know about that, but oftentimes this other side of the equation where he carries our sorrows, we don't talk much about. But it's really where we all live to one degree or another. Because we know the journey that we've had, we unfortunately remember things that have happened, things that we've done to other people, things that have been done to us, and those things afflict our thinking and we carry them around with us, and they become sorrows. That's why Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then she said something like this that I'll never forget. She said, You know, we're not in Eden anymore. We're not in Eden anymore. What was she saying by that? 
She was saying this, we were originally created to be in the Garden of Eden in a sinless environment, in a face-to-face communion and relationship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's what we were originally designed for. Adam and Eve sinned. We had to leave the garden. And now we're in this foreign environment of sin, rebellion, pain, anger, hurt, and on and on and on the list goes. So in this unnatural environment, we are carrying around with us experiences, hurt, pain from this world that we live in. She went on and she said, you know, God created fish to swim in water. That's their natural environment. God created birds to fly in the sky. That's their natural environment. God created Adam and Eve and humans to be in the garden in their natural environment. And now we're in this unnatural environment that literally devastates the human spirit. Mind, body, soul, everything. Okay? Now we don't talk about sin because we enjoy beating people overhead about it, but we need to have an accurate assessment of our condition. And that is our sin. And the cross addresses that. But it addresses it in two ways. Number one, when we first come to Christ, we are positionally placed in Christ with a new identity. Okay, his spirit's in us. We're on our way to heaven. We have assurance of salvation. We are even imputed or given holiness and the blamelessness of right standing before God as adopted sons and daughters. The other side of the equation is we are engaging in a process of growth and change, being shaped and changed to the image of Christ. Many times we clearly explain the gospel to people and they accept that or maybe just think about it, but then we forget to tell them after you get saved is where the real work begins. I've explained to people my healing journey and talked about different books that I've used, and then I've said to them, it is brutal letting the Spirit of God change you. It just is. Because you have to talk about what you've been through. You have to talk about what's most deeply painful inside of you. You have to forgive people that have hurt you. You have to ask people to forgive you if you've hurt them. And a lot of times people, and I hate to say this, but a lot of times people say, I don't want to go through that. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I know I'm a Christian. But let's just leave it there and not deal with all the rest of it. And you know what happens? You have no peace in your life and you hurt a lot of people because you've got issues that you refuse to deal with and to look at. You refuse to look in the mirror and say, this is what I have done. This is what I'm experiencing. And oftentimes you need to get into a small group where you can talk about these things because what happens is this. Shame is banished when you begin to realize Every other person here is dealing with issues and stuff. We love to put on a plastic praise the Lord face on Sunday morning, don't we? It's like Mike's teacup. And that you look inside that teacup and you go, yikes. 
But you don't need to see yikes because you know what? Everybody else has got something they're dealing with and you can take it to the cross and find the answer. Look at your outline if you there would, if you would. Because Jesus here begins his ministry talking about healing and wholeness and what he's going to be about. You remember when we began this series from Luke, I mentioned Colossians 4, 14, because it says there in Paul's words, Luke the doctor. So Luke was well aware of physical issues that people deal with, okay? And most doctors will tell you, if they have much wisdom at all, that many times physical ailments are connected to things in the mind, psychosomatic issues, uh, pain, grief, hurt. Okay, we mentioned several years ago, Carolyn Leaf, who's a brain surgeon in Texas, and she has a whole series of material on what anger does to the brain. Physiological damage to the neurons of the brain. My friend Terry Wardle talks about unprocessed trauma and what happens in the different lobes of the brain when stress is not processed. Do you know our world has no answer for the issue of stress? Just give more prescriptions. I'm not saying that's always wrong, okay? It's okay. I'm not a doctor, okay? There's times that things are necessary, uh, prescriptions and whatnot. But if you don't get to the heart of the matter and what's really going on inside, you're not going to have holistic health and healing, which I believe is what Jesus has for us. If you look at your outline there, Jesus goes to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Look at verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. As you recall, just before that, in verse 1 of chapter 4, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit is just drenched and enriched, if you will, through every page of the New Testament. We see it again and again in the life of Jesus. Why would it be so crucial for Jesus to be full of the Spirit and led by the Spirit and be in the power of the Spirit? Because he set aside the glory and all that he had in heaven, not compromising his identity, but setting the glory of heaven, left it there and made himself nothing. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. <clears throat> so Jesus uh, you know, could have done anything he wanted. But he decided, I'm just going to move in the power of the Spirit, and I'm going to walk on this earth uh, having sleepless nights, being hungry, uh, being upset, uh, weeping over struggles, okay? Limiting himself to a human body, but not compromising his uh, eternal deity. The second blank there, Galilee was heavily populated, uh, was a heavily populated agricultural region, okay? So he returns to Galilee. Presumably before that, he's out in the desert, probably east of the Sea of Galilee, okay? Uh, in Moab, we would call it today, and comes back to Galilee, okay? And it was a heavily populated area, okay? There was a lot of figs, there was a lot of grapes there, there was olives, okay? And Bible historians believe there were some 3 million people that lived in this some 50-mile radius between the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean Sea. One of the problems that happened continually with God's people that were there is that they were surrounded by pagan uh, deities and pagan uh, people that worshipped all kinds of different gods. 
And so it was easy for them to drift into what we would call polytheism. Rather than worshiping one God, they started saying, oh, well, that sounds good and that sounds good. And they started absorbing these other uh, deities and, and their other worship. And it was not good for their walk with God. The third blank there, synagogues were local houses of teaching. Lambs were only sacrificed back in Jerusalem at the temple by the high priest, okay? But around the Middle East there, there were synagogues and the law said every place where you have 10 or more families, you must have a synagogue, okay? And what they did there is they had readings from the Old Testament, okay? They would have times of prayer and worship, okay? And then after they read the scroll, someone would teach, and this is what happened here when Jesus is in this synagogue uh, that day. Look at verse 15. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. Okay? By synagogues, plural. So Jesus apparently was traveling around, speaking, uh, uh, sharing who he was, and teaching and whatnot. And he was really widening a, a, a wave of public favor at this point. And we're going to see in a minute that that changes uh, real quickly. So verse 16, he went up to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Okay, unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. Okay, now we don't know if that was a prescribed reading for that day or he just opened it up and found that spot and of his own decision decided to read there. The text doesn't tell us. But this is what he says. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Again, we have the work of the Spirit, okay? Friends, become familiar and be hungry for the Spirit of God. Read books on the Holy Spirit. The New Testament says that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It says be led by the Spirit. It says walk in the Spirit, not the flesh, okay? You're struggling with a decision. Holy Spirit is a spirit of wisdom. You can pray, Lord, I don't know what to do right now. Would your spirit guide me and give me wisdom? The spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me, okay? In the Old Testament, kings were anointed with oil. It's a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And we take that over into the New Testament and the word anointing is often used describing the Holy Spirit. When we pray for people, many times we anoint them with oil as a symbol of the Holy Spirit, as a symbol of healing, okay? So this uh, picture of the Holy Spirit comes up often in Scripture. To proclaim the good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So synagogues were local houses of teaching for Hebrews, and Jesus was asked to read from the scroll of Isaiah. What is really happening here in the Old Testament background for this verse is this, is that this is referring to Leviticus 25, which refers to the year of Jubilee. The Old Testament Hebrew people were prescribed, okay, to every seven years give the land a time of rest to not plant anything. So it would restore, okay, and get rejuvenated, okay, uh, with water and, and whatnot, okay? Every 50 years, they were prescribed to have a year of Jubilee. And the whole year, okay, was about rest, 
enjoying God, and God promised, if they remember that 50 years, okay, that he would give them enough food the previous year to sustain them, okay? Interestingly enough, the Jews never followed that prescription, never once, okay? Uh, they uh, were just so wrapped up in their economic needs and their struggle to survive, apparently. They just said, you know what, that's an interesting thought, but we can't do it. And I have to ask, just on the fly, how many times do you think we live that way? Maybe you don't tithe, okay? You're so worried and living in such fear about your finances, you're just convinced, I can't do it, okay? Friends, that's just unbelief, okay? And you're basically looking at your Father in heaven saying, I, I really don't think you're going to take care of me. Years ago, I learned my lesson about tithing, and I was just sharing it with somebody this morning. This is not on the sermon. This is extra, and it's free. <laughs> but I was in seminary, and I was struggling to pay my tuition bills, and I had two different jobs, and I would get one paycheck from one place, and I would write down what it was, and I would get the next one, and I would write it down, and then I would take 10% and give as my tithe at the church I was attending. Well, I got the one paycheck, and I thought, okay, uh, I wrote it down, and I thought, well, you know, next week I'm going to get the tithes from that and add them together. And, and I took the both the next week when that one came, and I added it up, and there was about $4 left, that check. And I know you're shocked, but I was mad. I was like, four bucks? That's ridiculous. But I thought, okay, Lord, I need to give this. I, I got a tithe. I was not a cheerful giver at all. Okay, and, and I gave it and I had my four bucks for the next check. I went that day to the mailbox and opened it up and there was a $1,000 check sitting in there. And I literally hung my head and said, God, I'm sorry. Never again will I complain about tithing. Because God takes care of us. And if you're living with fear about your finances and fear about giving and in this paranoia about what's going to happen tomorrow, you know what God wants to say? Will you trust me? I will take care of you. Okay? It's an issue of stewardship. Everything you own is God's. Everything. Your very life, your physical body, every breath, every step. Everything you own is God's. And you will walk in trust and faith and believing him, or you will walk in stingy, Scrooge-like fear. And God has freedom for you from that, and he wants to give it to you if you'll step out in it. So this year of Jubilee is really what this all is based on, and it's really an issue of liberty and freedom. Debts were canceled. Slaves were returned to the original owners. If you bought a piece of property, you had to return it, okay? And this was God's way of balancing the economic system of the day. And you say, what does that have to do with healing? Friends, God has freedom for his people has healing for his people, has provision for his people, has rest for his people, but we have a hard time receiving it because we're just not sure he's going to come through. That went over like a lead balloon. Think about it, folks. I'm not trying to beat you over the head. God's going to take care of you. I don't care how crazy this world gets. He's going to take care of us. 
Okay? So make him first in your finances, in your daily life, in everything about your life. Say, Jesus, I'm going to trust you and believe you're going to take care of me. The middle blank there in that middle section, Isaiah 61, okay? Uh, Jesus read a prophecy of healing and freedom, which pointed to himself. No doubt these people had heard uh, uh, Leviticus uh, 25 read before. No doubt they had read Isaiah 61 before, okay? Jesus gets real personal, real prophetic, real right to the gut, and basically says, this is fulfilled today in your hearing, okay? And that's what this is about. Jesus healed the sick, the next blank there, and cast out demons during his ministry. You read the Gospels and everywhere he goes, Jesus is healing people, opening blinded eyes, okay, casting out demonic entities in people, okay, touching people with his word, his hand, okay, his voice, just in a million, one lady pressed through the crowd and was just determined if I just touched the hem of his garment. She had a bleeding and a hemorrhaging issue, okay, she believed that. And I love that text, and I forget where it is. You can find it this afternoon. It says that when she touched him, power, power went out of him, and she was made well. Folks, this power is available in the body of Christ today. Amen. Today. And as our world gets more troubled and disturbed, okay, we're going to need to access that power for our own lives and to give it away to others. If you've never seen this book, I would encourage you to read it, okay? If you have an interest in counseling, inner healing and wholeness for people and issues like this, folks, just don't take Bible information and say, oh, that's nice. What are we going to do about it? Remember what Professor Crockett said? You're going to be the doctor. And that has scared the deaf out of me for 30 years. But it propelled me on my own healing journey as I looked at my own life and what I wanted to get hold about in my own life and then propelled me to give it away to others. I've mentioned to you the Catholic theologian Henry Nouwen who's got a book called Wounded Healer. And what we try to do, he falsely, he, he changes and he challenges us. He says, you know what? We think that we're going to help people get together because we got it all together. <coughs> I can only help but cough. And he says, that's nonsense. We're all wounded. We're all broken. We all got issues. Some of you don't like to hear that. Okay, I've heard that in the past. So I, I heard, Drew, people don't like to hear the word broken. You're going to hear it from me. Because we're all there. It's not a statement of condemnation. It's just truth that we're all on a journey. And if you don't know you're on a journey, you're just coasting to heaven because you got saved. Folks, you are missing what God would want to do in your life. Where you can just honestly say, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm dealing with. And as God works in your life, you know what you get to do? You get to give it away to others. I would have never thought that I would have spent a whole year in depression in 1979, and I'd be embarrassed about that phrase. I talk about this all the time with people because I run into people all the time that are dealing with the same thing. And I get to joyfully say, 
the Lord healed my heart. And he'll do the same for you. I'm not giving them a prescription out of a psychological handbook somewhere. I'm telling them about my own life. What really happened to me. So look at this, because you know what it is? It's just an issue of sanctification. That God wants to change us, that God wants to grow us, that God has more for us, okay? And it's a good journey, and it's a journey that's absolutely saturated with the mercy and the grace and the love of God. Never once will you hear from your Heavenly Father, you know, I wish you'd just get it together. How long do we have to talk about this, Drew? Never once. It's like, Lord, here I am. I need you today. And you know what he does? I'm right here, Drew. Right here. And he'll do the same thing for you. So it says there, Jesus healed the sick and cast out demons during his ministry. The crowd's response was a combination of belief and unbelief. Now the text doesn't tell us what was happening in every person's heart, but it's clear that some reacted. Can you imagine somebody seeing Jesus read this and, and say, did he just say what I think he said? I mean, what audacity, what ridiculous, bodacious behavior would someone read something from Isaiah and say, you just saw this fulfilled? Well, that's what Jesus did. Isaiah, under this direction, the inspiration of the Spirit of God, wrote that hundreds of years before. Jesus comes and reads it and says, this is about me. This is about me. And you're going to see something in the next three years that will absolutely blow your mind as I still storms, cast out demons, open up blind eyes, heal people, raise the dead. This is what's going to happen. And then above all things, ghastly though it is, to go to the cross and die in your place. This is what Jesus did. To look at the last section there, offended by Jesus. It's clear that many were upset about this, okay? And in verse 22, you see this phrase, isn't this Joseph's son? You've got a crazy combination of people being amazed at his gracious words, and then you have people saying, uh, don't we know this guy? Don't we know his mom and dad? We know where he came from. How could he say this? And then it goes from there, from bad to worse, because Jesus basically looks at them and says, this is what you're going to say. Physician, heal yourself. Basically, at the core of that statement is mockery and unbelief. Jesus, I don't really want to trust you. Just show me a circus sideshow for the fun of it. Okay? So Jesus pierces through, and basically Satan did the same thing, didn't want to trust Jesus, worship Jesus, put his faith in Jesus, acknowledge that he was the king of the king of Lord of lords. He just wanted him to turn stones to bread, to jump off the top of the temple, okay? And Jesus says, you know what? That's not the way this works. You come to Jesus with repentance, with humility, with the fear of the Lord, and with faith. And then you know what Jesus does? He responds. I remember years ago, a family called me to a hospital and their father had just been diagnosed with throat cancer. And I was a young pastor 
And William Crockett's words were in my mind, you're the doctor. And I walked into this room and the diagnosis had just been given. And the family was crying because the prognosis was not good. So I stood there with these brothers and the, their dad was there in the bed with a throat cancer and, and not a good prognosis. And I began to pray. And I felt this pressure like I've got to give the perfect prayer that, you know, he's going to do something here. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And, uh, and a couple years later, he died. I don't know that I blame myself. I don't think I did. I, I just said, well, God, I guess you had something different in mind than me, than what I had in mind or this family had in mind. The point I want to say is this. When you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, he answers that prayer and you're born again. Okay? This healing journey, which I think God has for us, and it's real, God doesn't always heal in the time or the way that we'd like. I wish that God had healed everybody that I'd have ever prayed for. But he doesn't. And I don't know why. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask. Or maybe I'll just fall down before Jesus and say thank you. Because it probably won't matter. Friends, we pray for people to get healed. We pray for people to get whole. Sometimes God answers that prayer. Other times he might have something else in mind and we trust him anyways. The blank there in that third section, many Hebrews were offended by Jesus, okay? Paul develops this a lot in, in 1 Corinthians 1.18 where he says, the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. Matthew 21, Jesus said, he's the cornerstone and blessed are you if you don't stumble on him. All throughout his ministry, some people received it, trusted, worshiped Jesus, followed Jesus, received healing, and some people got high-minded and intellectual and were offended by Jesus. And that's just the human nature. Your next blank there, Jesus challenges his fellow Hebrews in the synagogue. The next blank there, the Father's redemptive plan was extended to non-Jews. Maybe this is what they got the most mad about, but they forgot the words in Genesis 12 where it says that uh, God's making his covenant with Abraham and he says, you're going to be blessed and you're going to be blessed to be a blessing to the whole earth. Okay, and many of the Jews forgot that. They knew they were God's chosen people and they are. Okay, but he's challenging them in these two examples. Uh, in first, we don't have time, but read it this afternoon. First Kings 17 and first, second Kings 5. God heals people that are not Jews. And maybe that's what made them the most mad. I'm not exactly sure. So the father's redemptive plan extended to non-Jews. The next blank, Elijah feeds a widow in Zarephath. Okay, it was a non-Jewish, non-Hebrew area. The next one, Elisha heals Naaman, the Syrian uh, of leprosy, okay? And then at the end, we can see their murderous intent. They're so mad, right at the end of the chapter, it says that he'd take him to the brow of the hill to throw him, them off. The crowd attempted to throw Jesus over the cliff. Turn to the back if your question. Worship team, if you could come. You could reflect on this in your own journey. 
How did you respond when you first heard the gospel? Some grab it right away. Their lives are such a mess. They know they see Jesus and they say, yes, Lord, help me. Others, it takes years, months, all kinds of things. And God in his faithfulness continues to call people. Number two, God wants to heal us and set us free. Sometimes they're instantaneous healings. Sometimes there's not. Other times it's a journey where God works and brings growth and change. How can he heal you or set you free? Will you pray and ask God? Number three, some gospel passages are hard to understand. Can you and do you trust God to reveal it to you or do you trust him for an answer in eternity? Folks, don't let this issue of offense be a stumbling block on your journey, okay? I've had friends challenge me, Drew, you don't need to understand it all. Just trust Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for the beginning of your ministry here in Luke chapter 4. And I would pray for an anointing of healing in this church. Physical healing, yes, but emotional healing, inner healing, wounds from the past. Heal us of religious performance, Lord, of religion that demands people act a certain way. They would just straighten up. Lord, we're all in a journey. And this is we just want to follow Jesus and I'll allow you to change us. And we ask that you would. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you.